Good morning, gorgeous. How are you ladies doing this morning? I hope you're all doing fabulous. For those of you who are here for the very first time, welcome to a Feminine Impression Podcast. My name is Dr. Michelle Daff, and I'm your host. Today, we're discussing the story of Naomi from the book, When Women Pray by T.D. Jakes. And the topic for today is turning curses into blessings. I don't know how many of you ladies have experienced the thought that maybe your life has been cursed. Maybe you're going through seasons where you are just down and out, things are going wrong, or you've experienced a tragedy that's led you to think that you are cursed, that God is mad at you, that you are paying for something, you're being punished for something, and you don't know how to turn it around. Well, I want you to know that the Lord loves you more than anything. You are his daughter, you are his prized possession, and he will never allow you to take on more than you can bear. He has ways of turning these hardships and these painful experiences into the most beautiful blessings that you could ever experience. As you're listening today, I want you to consider your life and whether or not you've had areas that you feel very bitter about things that have maybe happened to you or things that haven't happened to you, where you think about and wonder, does God have a plan for me? Is he really going to do it for me? Is it all over? Is it too late? Have I ruined everything? Am I cursed? I want this to be where you reflect and you talk to God throughout this time and ask him to be with you and to reveal to you any areas of your life that you feel are dead that he can no longer work in and watch him renew your spirit and show you another side of him. I want you to go ahead and sit back, relax, get something to drink, get something to write with, and let's talk about this. Hello, ladies. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Happy Sunday. Thank you for being here today. Super excited about what we're going to talk about today. I'm hoping that so many of you are going to be freed and released from all the thoughts that you've had about your life. We are reading today from the book, When Women Pray by T.D. Jakes. And for those of you who are new here, welcome. My name is Dr. Michelle Daff, and I am doing a series on different women who prayed and in those prayers, the Lord did miraculous things in their lives. And the point is not only to read about them and to be inspired, but to realize that God is still the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And he is going to do those same things for you in your life. And it's to draw inspiration and hope from their stories. So before we get going, I just want to say thank you to every single one of you ladies who listens to my podcast and who shows up here every week. It is a commitment to take time out of your day to give to God, and He honors that. He knows that you're here. He knows all the things that you could be doing, and you will definitely be repaid for the fact that you are faithful in spending time with Him in various ways. And for those of you who don't know, I do have a fragrance line that I would love for you to support, and it's called Fine Forever. My fragrance is called 2911 and it is from the scripture Jeremiah 2911 where God is talking about the plans that he has for your life 
the promises that he has for you. And it is a very sexy, <laughs> universal fragrance for all ages. It's very mature and seductive. But what's so beautiful about it is that it is a reminder of the love that God has for you. So you can get 10% off by using the code FEMININE and head over to my website and purchase the fragrance to support me, my ministry, and the kingdom of God. So thank you for those of you who have purchased. And we are talking about the book, When Women Pray. Today, we're talking about the story of Naomi. And her story relies on the Lord in a way that's a little bit different from some of the other women we read about, where in her story, we're talking more about bitterness and some of the curses that some of us may feel God has placed on our lives or the enemy has placed on our lives. Maybe we don't know who's placed it in our lives, but we feel like our lives are just cursed. They suck. There's so much going on that we just can't explain and things just don't get better. But <laughs> the great thing is that in Naomi's story, the Lord turns those curses into blessings. So we're talking about how God will do that for your life. So if you don't have the book, you can still follow along by reading in your Bible, the book of Ruth. So I'm just going to give you a moment to turn there if you have a Bible to the book of Ruth, because that's where her story is. We're not going to go into Ruth's story because it is a completely different story with different meanings and spiritual um, ties. We're talking about Naomi today, but their stories are intertwined. So I'm going to just take a second and pray and um, just ask the Lord to be with us during this time together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for allowing us to wake up today and see a brand new day. We thank you for your protection over our lives. We thank you for allowing us to have time to be here with you today, to fellowship in your name, to read about your daughter, Naomi, and remember the promises that you've given to all of us as your daughters. We pray, Lord Jesus, that during this time, chains are broken, curses are denounced in the name of Jesus, and that each and every person who is here is able to feel the presence of your Holy Spirit. We ask that during this time you speak through me all the things that you want your daughters to hear. Allow me to decrease so that you can increase and allow every single woman here to have the faith to be able to believe in your promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So I'm going to start by actually reading from the Bible and I'm reading in Ruth chapter one. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to live in the land of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Mahlon and Chilion. They were Ephorites, sorry, from Bethlehem in Judah. They entered from Bethlehem in Judah they entered the land of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. Okay, so she, her husband died. She is now a widow. And she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, and the second was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about 10 years, both Malon and Chilion also died. So her husband died. Both of her sons died. Okay. 
and Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. She and her daughter-in-laws prepared to leave the land of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people needing by providing them with food. So she was in Moab and she heard that back in Bethlehem, the Lord had provided for his people that the famine was over. So she was like, okay, maybe we need to go back over there. So she left the place where she had been living, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law, and she traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. She said to each of them, each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show faithful love to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord enable each of you to find security in the house of your new husband. She kissed them and they wept loudly. No, they said to her, we will go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons? Who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters, go on, for I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Again, they wept loudly and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung on to her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God, lowercase g. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, do not persuade me to leave you or go back and not follow you. For wherever I go, for wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May Yahweh punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped trying to persuade her. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival, and the local women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, she answered, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has pronounced judgment on me, and the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi came back from the land of Moab with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the Moabite. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And we will stop there. So just a little recap. Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, went to Moab because there was a famine in Jerusalem. And I'm sure that they felt that this place would at least be a place where they could eat and have some peace, even though it's not the place that God wanted them. Okay, the Lord did not want his people to be living amongst that group of people. And in addition to that, her sons took wives that were Moabite women. And the Lord had asked his people, the Israelites, not to marry with these other people who believe in other gods. Because when they do that, it changes 
the family dynamic. Okay, now you have other gods introduced within the family. It brings upon all these problems. You're disobeying him. You're living in sin. And your family could definitely be changed, especially because a woman is the one a lot of times that teaches the children and you end up moving away from him. So he asked his people not to intermarry with people from all of these different tribes, but her sons did. So that in and of itself was an issue. But of course, her husband ends up dying. And now she's a widow, but at least she has her sons and her daughter-in-laws. And then her sons die. So now she has no men to help her out. She has no way of having more children for these two girls. And she's like, why are you with me? You are young. I'm not going to have any more kids. Even if I had more children, they're going to be so young compared to you. Are you really going to wait for them to grow up? Like, it's just doesn't make sense. Just go ahead and leave. But one of her daughter-in-laws, Ruth, said, no, I'm going to stay with you. And I think one thing that's really interesting about this, and not just with this particular story, but with other stories in the Bible, a lot of times the Lord will ask or will talk about the fact that the person moved from one place to another. A lot of times God will say, go to this place, take your family and go here. And we see that there are a lot of times does have to be some sort of movement until we see something happen from God's end. And it makes me wonder a lot, like, what is it that God is asking me to move from or to move to? And that's one thing I'm asking you. Is there a place that God is asking you to return to? And it doesn't have to be a physical place, but think about it, reflect on it in your life. Is the Lord asking you to return to something? In Naomi's case, she was returning back to her hometown, her home country, returning back to Bethlehem. And that's where she should have been the whole time. But at least she got up and went back. Maybe God is asking you to return to a certain location. Maybe you moved and he's asking you to go back. Maybe he's asking you to return back to a certain attitude. Maybe you used to be a more positive person and you've gotten really bitter or you've gotten really negative and he's asking you to get back to the woman that you used to be before certain things happened. Maybe he's asking you to return back to your femininity. Maybe you've just lost the touch, the beauty of loving your womanhood and caring for yourself and being loving and sweet. And he wants you to get back to being that woman. Maybe you have a broken relationship with a family member or a friend and he wants you to reevaluate and he wants you to return back to that place, back to that person, back to that situation and heal from it or learn from it and redevelop or reestablish something new. So I do want you to think about that and I want you to pray about that and ask the Lord, where are you asking me to return to in order for you to fulfill some promises for me or to restore me? And I guarantee you, you're going to get an answer if you truly and earnestly seek him for that. So I want to go ahead and read in the book on page 77. I'm going to just read around so you don't have to necessarily follow that closely, but I'm reading the book. We all understand that different circumstances are part of life. We all know that trials and tragedies will touch us at some point, and we expect them. We anticipate them. 
We do our best to be prepared for these moments when they come. But sometimes the depth and the breadth of these circumstances go way beyond our expectations. Sometimes what we view as a difficult moment can stretch into a season, not just a struggle, but a season of struggle. Not just a single trial or tragedy, but a season of trials and tragedies. These seasons come about when suffering and pain seem to stack up on top of one another. They multiply, they compound one another. First, your husband gets injured in an accident, that's bad. He can't work because of his injury, which means money got tight, or maybe it runs out and you start that terrifying drift into debt. That's worse. Then your children begin to turn restless and sullen. They stop coming home after school because they don't like seeing dad sitting useless on the sofa and they're tired of the constant tension. Maybe your son starts hanging out with the wrong crowd. That's worse still. Finally, you get a knock on your door after midnight. The police have come to tell you there was a fight, there was a gun, and your son won't be coming home. That's worse of all. In these seasons, when it seems like everything that can go wrong does go wrong, it's easy to believe that life will never be the same. It's easy to believe that God has forgotten about you. It's easy to believe you've come under a curse and will never recover. And that's what Naomi believed. That's what she experienced. Like many women around the world today, Naomi was a refugee. She and her family fled their home to escape a period of famine, settling in a foreign land called Moab. They were searching for a better life, but sadly, they never found it. First, Naomi's husband died. Then it was surely a blow to Naomi as a Jewish mother. Her sons both married Moabite women in direct disobedience with the Mosaic law. Finally, came the cruelest stroke of all when Naomi's sons passed away. She was left in a place she did not belong with daughters-in-laws she did not desire. All of this took place over a period of 10 years, a season of suffering. A lot of times we look at seasons as like maybe a week, maybe a month, but 10 years, that's a long time. Okay, I'm just going to read this this part right here. It talks about Job, and I'm going to get back into this later, so just pause on it. But the story of Job, if you're not familiar, is in the Bible. There's a book called Job, and if you haven't read it, I would definitely recommend that you read it because it's very similar in a sense that there's a man who was righteous before the Lord, meaning that he does to his best, everything he's supposed to do. He gives God the glory. He has a beautiful life. He has great children, a wife. He has a ton of money, a lot of land. He's just living a wonderful life. And the devil goes to God and tells God that, you know, the only reason why this guy's life is, you know, so great and he praises you is because of the fact that it's so great. If you made his life more difficult, he would not praise you. He would probably even curse you. And so the Lord allowed Satan, he allowed him to disrupt his life and cause a lot of problems for him as long as he didn't kill him. And during that time, Job did not curse God, but we'll come back to that. 
But in the book, it says, maybe you know from experience how Job felt in the moment. What I feared has come upon me. You've been there, haven't you? Maybe you're there now. The trap you've dreaded for so long has finally sprung. And like Naomi, you feel like you're left with nothing. Winston Churchill said, if you're going through hell, keep going. That's good advice, but I would change it to say this. If you're going through hell, keep praying because prayer is what will get you through. And in terms of talking about seasons, we all have seasons in our lives, every single person. And it it hasn't happened yet. That's beautiful. But it doesn't mean that it will never happen. We have periods where things are just going wrong. We could feel like we're in a depression. We can not understand why and think maybe we did something wrong. But we all have seasons where we suffer and we sometimes question God. And I want to know from you, you could even be in that season right now. What do you believe when you're going through this? Do you believe that there is something that you did wrong and that's why you're suffering? Do you believe that God is there? Do you believe that God cares about you or that you're even important enough for God to care about you? Do you believe that maybe you deserve it? It's not even a punishment, but you just deserve it because of things that you've done. And how do you feel? Are you afraid? Do you get angry? Do you feel sorry for yourself? Maybe you are in a situation where your boyfriend broke up with you and it was out of nowhere. You're blindsided. Do you feel sorry for yourself? Like, wow, I was this great girlfriend. I did all these great things and he did this to me. I'm never going to find anyone. If... I did my best with him, then it's truly never going to happen. You know, this is the best I could do. And I still got cheated on or I still got dumped. Do you start feeling bad for yourself? How do you handle these feelings? What do you do? Do you cry and stay in bed all day? Do you skip work and, you know, keep calling in sick because you just can't face being in public with people? Do you talk to people about it? Do you call up everyone you know? Or make a post on social media and kind of cling on to the words of other people. I know a lot of times we think that social media, especially, is the answer to a lot of these things. We live in a world and a day and age where there's so much communication and everyone's lives are kind of on display on social media. And because of that, it kind of seems like we're real connected and we have a lot of support, especially people who have a very big following. You would think that those people always have someone to come and talk to. But when you read about the studies and you see the percentages of suicides and depression and all these different things connected with people who you wouldn't expect it to happen with, they will tell you that even though they have a huge following, they still feel lonely and they still feel like they have no one to talk to. It's like they're putting out this information, but what's coming back to them is not really helping them. It's just words from random people. And a lot of times, you know, we think that that's the answer. If we just get enough people to just motivate us, then we will feel better. But nothing and no one can restore you or actually help you to feel better, truly feel better. No one can do that except God. 
except the power of Jesus. No one. It won't work and it won't last. So it's important that you can have all of that too. There's something wrong with that. But remember where your source comes from. And in Psalm 23, which is a very popular psalm, if you don't know it, look it up in the book of Psalms, Psalm 23. There's a part in it that says, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And that's you proclaiming that. When I'm walking through a tough time, when I'm going through something that's scary or harmful, I will fear no evil for you are with me, which is God. And when I took my time and really try to go through that Psalm line by line, that's one thing that stood out to me. And it talks about the, the valleys of life, like you're the low points of life. When you're in those low points, are you walking through it? And when you're walking through something, it means that you're going somewhere. It's very difficult to be in a situation that is crushing when you're standing still, when there's nothing happening, when there's no progress. It's important to always continue walking, even if it's absolutely painful for you to get out of bed and go brush your teeth or take a shower or go downstairs and get some breakfast. Even the thought of it just makes you want to cry. Go ahead and cry and still do it. Still keep moving. Keep progressing. Continue to live your life and don't stop. Continue to walk through that valley. And the thing about a valley is that although it's low, you're surrounded by these huge mountains. And it may seem to you that those mountains are problems and situations that are sort of hovering over you. But it's a matter of perspective because those mountains could also be all of the blessings and the wonderful things that you can climb up to and be on top of the world. And remembering that when you're walking through you, the, the, the valley of the the shadow of death, you see those shadows of death. You see the pain, you see the bitterness, you see the regret, you see all of those shadows. But shadows are, are not real in a sense that they're not the real thing. A shadow is a reflection or the projection of an image. It's not the actual thing. When you see your shadow, it's not you on the cement. It's a projection of you. And so yes, shadows are scary, but they're also a projection. If you turn a certain way, you won't see it anymore. And that's the same for your life. When you're going through those valleys and you see these shadows of death or of pain or of anguish, realizing that that's the enemy trying to get you to fail, to stop, to quit, to die. But it says, you are with me. God is with you. He's walking with you through the shadows. He's walking with you and he's delivering you as you're walking through. You're getting out. There is an out, just like there was an entrance. And it's important that you don't give into the illusion and you don't stop and you continue to walk. And I also wanted to talk about the idea of curses because this is a really big topic, not only from what Naomi said that she's cursed, but just in the world, we hear a lot about people being cursed, about generational curses and that, that bit. So I want to ask you, have you ever been in a situation where you truly felt like 
you were cursed, that your life was cursed. Maybe someone told you that you were cursed or that your family was cursed. Maybe you were in a situation and someone says, hmm, sounds like a curse. Have you ever had that feeling impressed upon you that your life was going in a direction where it seemed like something external had been placed on you to make things not work out for you in some way? Think about that. Is that something that's ever happened? I know in my family, when I was a teenager, I had aunts and cousins that would tell me these stories about how my family was cursed and how, you know, all these crazy, honestly crazy stories. And I would listen. And when I was younger, I remember believing some of them and thinking, you know, some of this stuff is adding up. Like, yeah, maybe maybe we are cursed, right? I actually did believe them because why would they make that up? They're in the family too. (laughs) So you're telling me you're cursed, I'm cursed, we're all cursed. Okay, how do I get out of this? But it wasn't until I was a little bit older and developed my relationship with God that I 100% condemned all of that and was like, no, maybe you're cursed. I'm not. And I'm not going to continue to have this thought process or even wait for these random things to start happening because they're not happening to me. And the only way I was able to really have faith in that was understanding who God is, how God sees me, who the devil is, and what he can and can't do to me. And that helped me a lot because the blood of Jesus destroys all of that. The blood of Jesus truly does destroy that yoke. Whatever nonsense has been spoken over you or your family, Jesus breaks it. And that is the answer. That is the key. There is no witch, warlock, cursed spell that is stronger than the power of Jesus. Not even close. And so if you want to hold on to that, that's your choice. You're the one holding on to that, but that's not the truth. The truth is all of that has been broken and you can receive that if you no longer subscribe to all of those things that people are telling you. And that's what I had to do. And that's what took away my fear was realizing who God is and standing firm in that. So I definitely refuse to even listen to anyone who even starts going down that road. If someone wants to even start talking about that kind of stuff, I just cut the conversation short. Like, I really don't want to hear about that. You know, these are, we'll talk about this more, but these are how like boundaries and certain things have to get put in place into what you even allow people to say to you. Like, you don't need to hear about all of that stuff. You don't need to listen to these juicy stories about some curse a person put on your family or on your life. It's not, it's not worth it. It's not worth it even getting into your system. But I do want to go back to the story of Job because we're going to talk a little bit about it, how important it was to know that in this particular story, it was the one story in the Bible that shows you what's going on in the spiritual world and in the physical world. Because as you know, you know, we are spirits. We live in a body, but we are spirits and we possess a soul and we live here in the physical world. But this is a spiritual world. There's a lot of things going on around you right now in the spiritual world, but you cannot see it. Some people have been given gifts from God to be able to sense things, 
to see things that, you know, not everyone can see, but they're very aware of what's going on spiritually, but most of us cannot. And the only way that you get access to that spiritual world is through prayer. And you will start to see things and experience things a little bit differently if the Lord allows you to. But this book shows that it shows us how something that happened in the spiritual world happened first and then was projected onto something happening in the physical world. So Satan, with his little angels, went up to heaven and had a conversation with God. And that's important for you to understand the dynamics that there is a hierarchy and Satan is not even close, not even close to the top. He has to come to God. He's God's devil. Put it that way. He's still owned by God. He's not, you know, sometimes you'll see these pictures and it's like God versus the devil. There is no God versus the devil. They're not on the same playing field. You can say the devil versus like an archangel right? Because that's what he was. So you can say a devil versus an angel, but you can't say a devil versus God. Okay. It's, it's not, they're not the same. So God had this conversation with Satan because Satan came to him and told him, you know, I've been walking around the earth and, you know, I saw your servant Job and he asked if he could, if he could mess with him because he was almost testing to say that the only reason why he is so in love with you and so faithful is because you've given him all these things. And so you saw this conversation where Satan knew that the Lord had put a hedge around Job. He had put, if you know what a hedge is, it's like um, when you see those houses that have these like beautiful green thick bushes around them and you, you can't see inside of them. I know like in Beverly Hills and there's certain more upscale neighborhoods, people don't want you to see their house. So they have these hedges around them and it protects their privacy, essentially. So he said, you put a hedge around Job. You stopped bad things from happening to him. And remember that God does do that. He does put a hedge around people where nothing spiritual can attack them. And so he said, you know, take the hedge off. Let me do what I do and we'll see if he's really about you. So the Lord agreed, but said, you know, you cannot touch, you cannot kill him. That's the one rule. You cannot kill him. And so the devil allowed all these horrible things to happen. Job's children died. Everything he had was taken away from him. He went from being a rich man to being a poor man who was suffering, was probably in a depression, lost everything he had except for his wife, who insinuated that he had done something wrong and that's why they were experiencing this. And she also like encouraged him to curse God. He had friends that were also super like negative and telling him that they think it's his fault that he did some, he must've done something wrong. Right. So he had all these horrible influences during his time of distress. He lost everything. And on top of that, he got sick where he had all these blisters and pain on his body. And we know how much physical pain on top of everything else. We know that physical pain is the most distressing thing of all because it stops us from even being able to do anything sometimes, even to think. So he went from having all these things to losing everything. But in that, he never once cursed God. He never once felt like the Lord hated him and was this terrible God. 
As a matter of fact, he was still standing firm on the fact that the Lord gives and the Lord takes. It's his to give and it's his to take. And what's beautiful is that after that was all said and done, the Lord ended up blessing Job double. He got double everything he had. He got more children, more money, more livestock, more everything than he had before. And he was restored fully because of his obedience and the the fact that he had that attitude during a horrific season of his life. So with that, I'm going to read from the book about the enemy's attack. Okay. So he asks a little bit about our source of suffering and that whether or not you believe that your pain is random. Do you believe that the things that you experience are just like by chance? Or do you believe that there's something or someone that's attacking you? There is a source behind our seasons of suffering. And his name is Satan, the devil, our enemy. When we read Job's story, we see God pointing out Job as an example of righteousness. A man who was wealthy and blessed, yet remained humble, hardworking, and kind. Satan responded to God by asking, Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The result was devastating for Job, as we've seen. Yet despite all his losses, Job refused to speak even a word against God. Satan and his forces are present in your life as well. If you have had any connection with God whatsoever, then the devil is your enemy. And he is relentless in his desire for your destruction. I use that word intentionally. He's not out to mess with you. He doesn't want to disturb you. He doesn't care about disrupting you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to kill you. That's bad news and good news when it comes to Satan's influence in our lives. The bad news is that he is stronger than you. He is stronger than me. He's stronger than any of us. The Bible says this of Satan. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The implication is that Satan is capable of devouring us. He was originally created as a mighty angel, the first and best of his kind. He's been around for years upon years, millennia upon millennia, which means he's smarter than us. He's deadly and dangerous in every way. Here's an important principle. When you face an enemy stronger than you and smarter than you, Your only hope is to pray. Why pray? Because Satan is not stronger than God. In fact, Satan remains directly under the authority of God. When Satan wanted to get at Job, he had to come to God for permission, and he was required to stay within the limits God set. The same was true when Satan launched his attacks against Naomi, and the same is true when he launches his attacks against you and me. That's the good news. You and I have the opportunity to be in direct communication with the one who has already conquered our enemy. There is power in prayer. Unfortunately, it seems from scripture that Naomi endured long years in her season. 
of suffering without accessing that power. I want to know from you, how do you respond to the tricks and the plans of Satan, the plays that he makes in your life? How do you respond? I did used to be really afraid of the devil. When I was younger, I was very scared because people would say these things like, oh, you know, the devil is always working, the devil and the devil. And the thought of him was really frightening to me when I was younger. And that was before I understood the power of the Holy Spirit. Even before, like even, I would say even up to like a couple of years ago, I was really afraid of the devil. When I got born again and I started to experience a lot of spiritual things that I didn't understand, I was thinking that it was coming from the, I just wasn't sure. Like, is this coming from the devil? Is this coming from God? I've never experienced these things. And I got scared. I needed to understand Satan and I needed to understand God in order to not be scared. Because a lot of times when you're afraid of anything, it's because you're ignorant. You don't understand it. You don't know how it works. You don't know what to do. Let's just take something as simple as like a gun. A lot of people are afraid of even picking up a gun because they don't know how to work it. They don't know if they could accidentally press something. But imagine if you were trained on not only how to use a gun, how to build a gun, how to clean a gun. You wouldn't be afraid of a gun anymore because you would know exactly how it works and you would know what you could or could not do to cause a misfire or to cause something to happen. So you're no longer afraid of this object in front of you because you understand it. And that's kind of how it is with the devil. If you don't understand his power and his limitations, then you will be afraid of him. If you don't understand how to fight against him, and if you don't understand the power that you hold, once you've given your life to Jesus, truly, once you truly said, Lord, I am yours. I believe that the Lord died for me. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that everything in the Bible is true and I'm ready to live for you. I'm ready to give you my life and you are now in control of what happens to me. I want to live under your authority. Once you've done that and you're a child of God, you get privileges. Heaven backs you up and the enemy has to listen to you because you are operating under the blood covenant of Jesus. Jesus has already defeated the devil. He's already defeated death. He's already defeated every disease, every problem, everything has already been done. And you get to use that benefit. Like that's part of the benefit package of becoming born again. Just like when you get a job, you get all these benefits. You might even get a company card you can swipe and you don't have to pay for it. It's the same thing when you become born again. And one of those benefits is you can fight with the enemy and he has to back down. He has no choice. And if you have that power within you where you know that, you're not afraid of much of anything, really, because you understand that he cannot touch you. And so you do need to know how to exercise that authority. You do need to understand, you know, what to say and have faith and say it with whatever convictions you have. But once you're able to do that, not only can you not be afraid of the enemy, but you can also set people free. You can set people free of diseases, mental illnesses. I mean, pretty much you can set people free of anyone because of anything, because the Lord is working through you. God's power is working and flowing through you. But 
if I'm afraid of the devil and God gave me the power to heal people, and I know I have this power because God has revealed it to me, but I'm too scared of the devil, then how can I heal anyone? If I put my hands on someone and I start praying over them and they start convulsing or doing something, I'm like, oh no, the devil's here. And I get scared, then that power is is not going to be used. And so you do need to understand and be able to operate in your authority in order to help yourself and to be able to help people. So don't allow people to say little things over your life. And people do this all the time. If you start paying attention to what comes out of people's mouths, those little things can be curses. And sometimes they're ill-intentioned, sometimes they're not, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's coming from your mother. Okay, a lot of mothers are very negative or sometimes they're just trying to keep it real with you and prevent you from, I don't know, feeling heartbreak or feeling sadness, but it's still negative. It doesn't matter whose mouth it's coming out of. The enemy can work through anyone. So just denounce it immediately. Don't even go home with it. Immediately say, no, not me. That's one way. And then also, and make sure when you do this, you always, always, always use the name of Jesus. Okay. It is the most powerful name. It is, it's not just for you to say, it's what is actually going to break that off of you. In the name of Jesus, this is not going to happen to me. And if you have like a bad dream, so you wake up and you have this nightmare and you just feel frightened or you think this bad thing is going to happen immediately, as soon as you wake up, pray. Even if it's the middle of the night and you wake up from this terrible dream, pray right away and ask the Lord to ensure that it never comes to pass. Don't even wait. Pray right away and get it off of you. Also, of course, if you're living in any kind of sin where you realize that you are living in sin and you realize that you're doing things that you should not be doing because God has put it on your heart and you feel bad about this thing, stop doing it. Just stop. Pray for the Lord to strengthen you and get it off of you. Okay. These are things that you have to really move away from if you want to break off things that are going wrong. Because some of these things are on you because you haven't moved away from certain things and you're causing, when you talk about the spiritual world, you're opening up an avenue for sin to come into your life because you're not living according to God, right? So if you're gossiping with your friends about people getting dumped and maybe someone's husband left them or cheated on them and you're laughing with your girlfriends about it or you're gossiping about some girl who got plastic surgery and whatever, the silly things that people talk about. And then you're wondering why God hasn't brought you a man why your relationships don't work out. All these things, they're spiritually connected. You know, you're using that same mouth that you pray with to talk poorly about someone's misfortune. Don't be surprised because you're opening up avenues because you're sinning. You're sinning. You're opening up avenues for the enemy and for evil to come into your life. You're inviting it. Okay, so you have to be very careful about the way you live your life and for certain things that you know you shouldn't be doing, moving away from it. You know you shouldn't be having sex. Then you praying about it and asking the Lord to help you to stop and moving away from it. 
Okay. So you don't invite these things into your life. And another important thing to do is to fast. If you know you're having lots of issues in your life and you're feeling like you're under spiritual bondage, getting more serious about your prayer life. And fasting is one way to do that, especially if you're someone who feels like you're not really connecting with prayer. It's not it's not doing what you think it should be doing for you, then you may need to take it a, a notch higher and fast. So you can maybe do a couple days out of the week where you skip a meal. And during that time, you're in prayer, you're listening to sermons, you're talking to the Lord, or you can do like a seven-day fast, 21-day fast, 40-day fast. Fasting has been the number one thing in my life that has changed it completely. And I have never seen so many miracles happen, not just in my life, but the people who I've been praying for, just looking around me and seeing heaven moving on my behalf because of a sacrifice that I've made too fast. It is, if I would have known about fasting my whole life, I think my entire life would have been different. I did not understand fasting. I was never taught about it until like two years ago. So I'm behind But in the year and a half that I have been doing it, I have seen more breakthroughs in my life, in my body, in my romantic relationship, in my finances, in my career, in every single aspect of my life and the people close to me. It's like, it's so powerful. It like bleeds into the people who are close to me. It's a beautiful thing. Um, Things I just never thought I could escape from fasting broke that yoke. So fasting is one really powerful way you can break off any chains that you feel are upon your life. And I have a video about fasting. I will link it below. Uh, When I did my series on the Esther anointing, I did a whole um, video on fasting. So I would recommend that you watch that video or listen to the podcast and implement it into your life. And another thing that you can do, which is so powerful, is to pray between the hours of midnight and 3 a.m. Those are the hours where the spiritual world are the most active, meaning like the veil between heaven and earth are the thinnest. And so it's like the time for prayers and for things to be reversed. It's like, I don't know how to explain it. It's not the most likely, but I guess it happens a little bit easier. And people who are into witchcraft and into that dark world tend to do a lot of their business during that time. So you're actively kind of fighting against that. That's why, unfortunately, around that time of night, like 3 a.m., you hear about a lot of accidents, deaths, crime. A lot of times when things happen, I find out what time it happened. I'm like, of course, of course it happened at that time. Of course, because that's the time where evil is at its peak. And that's the time where you can exercise your spiritual authority and pray against that or pray for things to happen for you. And um, so, yeah, just set your alarm. It's a sacrifice. You know, you're going to be tired because you're being woken up out of your sleep. And just set your alarm and it could just be five minutes. Get in, pray in tongues. You don't have to even pray in English. If, you, if you're not all the way awake, just pray in tongues and go ahead and exercise that authority because during that time, you will see a lot of things change if you do that. Okay. And I know we're running, oh my gosh, we're running so late. I'm so sorry. 
Let me continue reading from the book and I'll try to just speed this up. Do you remember the last time you tasted something bitter? I don't like the experience personally, but I'll often get a bitter taste from kale or Brussels sprouts or other green vegetables. I can be munching away on a salad or something and all of a sudden I'll hit one leaf and it just seems to set my teeth on edge. In my experience, bitterness is a flavor we rarely enjoy with our meals and one we never enjoy in our lives. As we look more closely at Naomi's story, however, we see that she was intimately familiar with feelings of bitterness. When her daughters-in-laws expressed a desire to accompany her back to Israel, she went into great detail explaining all the reasons they were better off remaining in Moab. Why would you come with me? She asked. She described herself as a woman who would never again know the joy of a husband and never again watch her children grow older. It is more bitter for me than for you, she told them, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Isn't it tempting to compare ourselves to others when times are tough? Instead of falling on our faces in prayer, we stand up on a high horse and look out at everyone around us. We tell ourselves, no one has it as bad as I do. All my friends are on easy street compared to what I'm going through. There's a perverse pleasure to be found in setting ourselves over top of everyone else, even when the criteria for our comparison is suffering. But such comparisons are counterproductive. They only suck you further down into your pit. First, it's a brutal question to be confronted with in your childhood home. When life hasn't gone the way you planned, it's easy for shame to take root in our hearts. We don't want people to know our false steps and our failures, especially those who remember us during the flower of our youth. That's why we so often avoid reunions and gatherings of people from our past. I can't let them see me now when I used to have so much promise and potential. That's why we try to put our best foot forward on social media. We only post the pictures that catch us at the right angle. We only make public those moments that allow us to brag a little. Everything else stays hidden, locked away. Second, Naomi's answer to the women of her hometown is heartbreaking. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. The name Mara means bitter. These are the words of a woman who has allowed bitterness to consume her identity. These are the words of a woman who has allowed bitterness to consume her heart. And these are the words of a woman who has lost all sense of her value as a child of God. Bitterness is like a root in that it grows deep down in the places that we cannot see or access. Bitterness has a way of sucking up our hurt and our regret and our sorrow all the destructive feelings we swim in during seasons of suffering, then pumping them directly into our hearts. It changes us, withering our hearts and minds from the inside out. It's bitterness that drives you to feel irritated or even angry at the good fortunes of others around you. When you're down, sometimes it's easier to wish that everyone else were down in the dirt with you rather than making the effort to Pray to God and ask him to lift you up, make you clean again, bring you healing, 
It's bitterness that drives you to alcohol or drugs or food or pornography or anything else as a method of coping with your season of suffering. When you've been consumed by bitterness, you develop a desire to consume anything that will get that taste out of your mouth, anything that will rinse the sourness from your heart. It's bitterness that drives you to blame others for the pain that you've experienced, and especially to blame God. Naomi said, the Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. It's easy to use God as a punching bag when life is hard, but that is also counterproductive. It solves nothing. Instead, when we find ourselves in the midst of suffering, we need to fall down on our knees before God's throne and cry out, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Naomi allowed bitterness to take root inside of her and it almost brought her down. Almost. Have you allowed bitterness to take over your heart? I know a lot of older women who have gotten progressively more and more bitter as they've gotten older. And it's heartbreaking to remember back when I was young, when they were so happy and so full of life. And because of things that have happened, maybe their husband died, maybe they lost their business, maybe they got sick. And now there's these like angry old women, they're mean and they isolate themselves. And it's, it's so sad because it's like, how can this be the same person? But they've allowed these things to seep into their hearts and change them completely and have pushed away everyone who cares about them. I don't want that to be you. I'm not going to get into the story of how all of this kind of flipped over for her, but I'll just say that she and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, were able to win the favor of a very wealthy man who was in her family, in Naomi's family. Or was it, I think, Naomi's husband, Naomi's husband's family. A very rich and kind man ended up marrying her daughter-in-law. And she helped her, you know, she kind of gave her some tips and helped her to get his attention and through prayer. It doesn't talk about her praying, but she definitely did pray. And at some point, um, the Lord allowed for this man to choose her daughter-in-law and nothing got in the way of him marrying her. And she ended up getting pregnant, the daughter-in-law. And through that, Naomi was blessed because she's a grandmother. So she got the joy of being able to have this grandbaby and for her legacy to continue for her to be taken care of and, you know, for her name to be established. And not only that, the greatest blessing of it all, do you know the best part of Naomi's story? Here it is. The women living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. He was a father of Jesse the father of King David. And you know that Jesus Christ came from the line of King David. Ruth was the grandmother of King David, which means Naomi was his great-grandmother. It's even possible that she held him in her arms, pressed his cheek against her own. This means Naomi was legally part of the lineage of Christ. Not only was she blessed when her family's line was restored, but all the people of the earth have been blessed through her as well. 
That's why you must never let bitterness or grief overwhelm you during the seasons of sorrow, because you never know what God has planned for your future. You may have kings living inside of you. You may be the instrument God is honing in and shaping to be used in just the right way to produce a blessing unlike your city or your community has ever seen. So I'll say it again. If you're going through hell, keep going and keep praying. Because when women pray, curses are turned into blessings. So beautiful. And I just want to leave you with a couple scriptures that you can lean on if you're in this place where you're feeling burdened or you're feeling like the Lord is not hearing you or seeing you. You can write them down. One of them is Psalm 55, 16 and 17. And it says, but I call to God and the Lord will save me. I complain and groan morning, noon and night. And he hears my voice, remembering that God will save you, that even if you're in a place where you are complaining and you are complaining every day to him, he hears you. He does want you to still come to him, even if you're complaining, even if you're crying, even if you're moaning, that's when he's the closest to you. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He wants to be there for you. He wants you to dwell under his wings. That's where he wants you. So it's okay. He hears your voice. And Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. And that goes back to Job, Naomi, whenever there's something burdening you, throw it to God, give it to him. Tell him this is yours. This is your problem. (laughs) And he wants you to do that. It's not like you're hurting his feelings. He wants you. He's telling you. That's why he gave you the Bible. That's his book to you. He's telling you what to do. He told you, just give it to me. Just throw it on me and be done with it. I'll take care of it for you. And he will sustain you. He'll keep you strong. He'll keep you going. He'll keep you alive. And he will never allow someone who's righteous. And you're not righteous because you're so great. You're righteous because you believe in Jesus and you took his righteousness. It's not because of you. It's because of him. But again, it's a benefit. He's not going to allow the righteous to be shaken. He won't allow you to be ruined over this. And last but not least, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And that is a beautiful scripture to remember. It's very popular because anyone who's going through anything tough knows that your strength does leave you at times and you start to feel like you're going to give up, that it's too much, that it's overwhelming, that you're tired. But if you wait on the Lord, if you wait on him to answer that prayer, to strengthen you, he will give you supernatural strength, supernatural energy to be able to get through whatever you're going through. And I want you to write these down, meditate on them, pray with them, remind God of his promises, 
These are all promises. Remind him of his promises to you and he will always keep them. So I just want to say thank you. I want to pray for you. Pray for everyone who's here today. I hope that this blessed you and just allowed you to know that, yes, life is hard. The devil is real, but God, he's got your back and you're never going to leave his sight as long as he is your Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful lesson on your power and the ability that you have to turn curses into blessings. We pray for every single person who's here today, and we ask, Lord Jesus, that you restore to them anything that the enemy has taken away. We ask, Father, that your children are able to be renewed in their strength, that they can cast their cares and their burdens upon you, and that you will sustain them. We pray, Father God, that you will allow any evil that is in their life to be destroyed by the yoke of Jesus. We pray that the blood of Jesus is able to penetrate into the lives of every single one of your daughters and your sons to restore their lives the way that you intended on it to be. We pray that each and every person who is able to stand firm in the righteousness of Jesus will be blessed, Lord Jesus, by all the wonders and miracles that you have stored up for them. We pray that anyone who's dealing with any bitterness, any malice in their hearts, any pain, anger, sorrow, or regret will come to you and will be renewed. We'll be able to find shelter under your wings and be able to walk through the valley of the shadow of death because you are with them. We love you and we thank you for all the promises that you will fulfill in our lives and restore us to the women that you created us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to thank each and every one of you beautiful ladies for taking time to listen to this podcast and hear God and His plans for you. Just like Naomi was blessed to be in the lineage of Christ, even though she felt that she had lost everything, you too can be renewed, restored, and blessed by the Lord in ways that you could have never imagined. If for any reason you believe that your life has been cursed, remember that the Lord is greater than any curse, any spell, anything that anyone could have potentially put on you or your family. And it's time to come to Him, move out of fear, and allow Him to release anything that's holding you in bondage, mentally or spiritually. I love you all so much and I'm so excited for you to break free from these chains and begin to live your life as the woman that God created you to be. The Lord loves you so much and is waiting for you to return back to Him, to talk to Him, to hang out with Him, to spend time with Him, and for Him to show you the goodness of His grace. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at A Feminine Impression. I do giveaways and it's great to be able to interact with other people and chat a little bit about the topics. And you can follow me on my personal page at Dr. Michelle Dab. Be sure to visit my website, findforever.com, and purchase my fragrance, 2911. It'll be such a support to me and to the kingdom of God. You can use the code FEMININE for 10% off of your fragrance. Until next time, my loves, remember that in all things you do, make a feminine impression. Bye-bye.